if you read through those books, like Deuteronomy and Leviticus and that, where they're detailing all the sacrifices, there's just so much blood. Yeah. So much blood. Yeah. And then along comes Christ, and it's like, okay, we're done. No more blood. That's it. Yeah. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Him Partial, the podcast where we talk all things church music. I'm Monet Funka. And I'm Cara Debro. And in today's episode, we'll be talking about the well-known hymn, Man of Sorrows. We'll be looking at the short but full life of its writer, talking about attempts to soften the language of the hymn, and encouraging you that no matter what, we can always praise our Savior. All that and more. But first, we have a treat for you all this month. We will be celebrating Easter with a fun giveaway. Head over to our Instagram, at himpartial, to enter for a chance to win Man of Sorrows, King of Glory, What the Humiliation and Exaltation of Jesus Mean for Us by John T. Rhodes. That giveaway is happening exclusively on Instagram. Also, before we dive in, this week's bonus clip, we'll be talking about the last hymn that Philip Bliss wrote before he died. But newsletter subscribers get to see that content first. If you are listening and you haven't signed up for our newsletter yet, go to himpartial.com and do so today. So we've mentioned Philip Bliss in a previous episode, but we haven't actually talked about any of his hymns. So I'm just going to give you a quick rundown of his life. It is brief because his life was brief. Um, so yeah, Man of Sorrows was written by a fella by the name of Philip Bliss. He was born in Clearfields, Pennsylvania in 1838. And his family was really poor, but he seemed to have been, like they seemed to have been loving enough. Mm. Like mm. Christian people, good folk. His parents instilled in him a love of music though he barely had any education. Hmm. He left home at the mature age of 11 years old and went oh, to work. No. <laughs> yeah, um, I read this thing and it's like, he went out to seek his fortune at 11 years old. And I was like, oh, well. Wow. Oh, goodness. Well, I guess since his life was shorter, he had to get on with it, didn't he? Mm. So anyway, he went to work as an assistant cook um, and then later a labourer in a lumberjack camp and sawmill. And he was a bit sporadic about attending school because of his work commitments. And he didn't really know what he wanted to do with his life, which is understandable because he was 11 years old. Yes. Um, but he'd always known the gospel. Mm -hmm. He'd never really been against it. Um, and at 12 years old, he made a profession of faith. Hmm. At 17, so now an old man, he moved <laughs> to... Bradford, Pennsylvania, to get his teaching credentials and pursue teaching music. There, he met a guy called J.G. Towner, who recognised that Philip had a really great voice and he insisted that he be formally trained. He was kind of just like, please don't waste your voice. Yeah. He kind of took Philip under his wing. He mentored him a lot. He took him later on to a conference where Philip met a guy called William Bradbury, who was a composer. And it was Bradbury that kind of encouraged Philip to use his talents for the Lord. So at some point he met and married a girl called Lucy Young, who was a poet herself, and she came from a musical family. So mm. um, she was pretty supportive, mm. which was nice. 
Um, by then he was a private tutor as well as an itinerant music teacher so they weren't terribly well off and he was away from home a lot. Yeah. But he always wanted to do more and be more and he wanted to be better musically educated and his great dream was to go to a school in New York which I'm I double checked because I thought it was a really bizarre name but it was called the Normal Academy of Music. <laughs> As opposed to what? I don't the know. Abnormal. Wait, so is normal like, sorry, normal was probably someone's surname, right? No? I have no idea. I didn't think to check, but I was just like the normal. What it's year was weird. this again? It was around about the 1860s. Interesting. I wonder how, like, oh, you just got me curious about how language was used then. If normal was like. You know how words shift over time, like um, if normal was used in some sort of prestigious way. As Whereas opposed now, to like a special school. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, if you know if normal is, is somebody's name or if it was a different type of language, you should let us know in the comments because I definitely am curious. <laughs> Yeah, I felt I had to explain because I just if I just said like he wanted to go to the normal academy of music, you would have been like, which one's the normal one? <laughs> but that was his actual name. Um, mm -hmm. So he couldn't afford to go. But Lucy's grandmother, when she heard that he wanted to go, she was like, oh, here's $30 that you need. Off you go. That's so all he it did. cost back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll come to we'll come to that in a bit. Yeah. About how much more money was worth back then. Yeah. But yeah. So he became fully qualified as a music teacher. Wow. And at that point he began to compose music and not just teach it. Yeah. So in eighteen sixty four he moved to Chicago. He was employed to conduct musical programs at various institutes and to compose Sunday school music. Um and some years later, he was passing one of D.L. Moody's revival meetings and he was kind of curious. So he just stopped and went in. And the story goes that it wasn't the most musical crowd. So when they were singing, Philip's voice really, really stood out. And afterwards, Moody went to find him and tried to persuade him to basically join him and become a singer in his evangelistic campaign. And the crazy nice. thing is he did. Nice. So he gave up his job and his church commitments in order to travel around and sing at these evangelistic campaigns. Mm -hmm. And I can't condone leaving your local church to do that. <laughs> but that's just an aside. <laughs> I appreciate that aside, Cara, because, you know, we can't be um, putting on our, our um, historical revisionist lenses. We have to say, hmm, was that the best thing? But. You know, I guess the yeah. Lord used it anyway. Yeah, that's the thing. He did use it. Um, yeah. But local church comes first. Okay. So in 1874, he joined a guy called Major Daniel Webster Whittle. Um, who had He was a major because he'd fought in one of the wars. Um, so he, he had a campaign of his own that wasn't D.L. Moody's. Mm -hmm. And... Um, Philip Bliss went to join this and by this point he'd written a lot of songs yeah. and he'd even compiled a book called Gospel Songs but, and here's where the money thing comes in he never ever took royalties for his work Okay. 
so instead he would donate them to worthwhile causes. And in his lifetime, these royalties added up to about $30,000, although some higher estimates are 60000 but 30000 is the agreed, generally agreed amount. Of that and I day? Ran, yeah. Okay. Wow. No, so I ran it through a calculator, mm-hmm. and it amounts to about three quarters of a million dollars in today's money. That is insanity, but also wonderful. Well... What were the worthwhile causes? Do you know? Well, I couldn't find out what the worthwhile causes were. Um, but I'm pretty sure they were like church-related things. Well, I hope so. That's, I mean, that's great when you could use your talents and literally turn it into money. Yeah, it's really good. And as long as he like looked after his family as well and wasn't just like, sorry, wifey, no food today because I have no royalties. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, they seemed to be well off enough. They were doing yeah. fine for themselves. Yeah. Um. And by all accounts, things were good. Uh, He and Lucy had two sons, and both of them at times would tour with these campaigns, and he would write music and sing and stuff. And as we mentioned in a previous episode, one of the tunes that he wrote that's really well known today is the tune for It Is Well With My Soul. And a fun fact about him is that he apparently wasn't actually P... P... Bliss, which are his initials, but mm-hmm. apparently they're not. He was Philip P with two P's. So Philip really? has two P's on the end. Yeah. Uh-huh. And for some reason, he liked to write his name Philip with one P space P <laughs> Bliss, <laughs> which P has, bliss. yeah, so it's like confused later biographers <laughs> quite a lot because they were like, what does the P stand for? And it's like, it doesn't. It's just extra. Um, <laughs> Yeah, he's just had an extra P in his name, so he's like, let's make it a middle name. Although you do see sometimes they write Philip Paul Bliss. I don't know. They just give him a middle name. I guess. <laughs> They're but like, what's the P really stand knows. for? Uh, nobody think it's Paul. really knows why he split it up either. Yeah, uh, he's an eccentric. That's Very. what they teach you at the normal academy. Is I'd to... hate to see what they teach you at the abnormal <laughs> academy. <laughs> yeah. So by all accounts, life was good, doing well for themselves. Yeah. But here's the thing. On December 30th, 1876, he was on a train from Pennsylvania heading to another city to sing in one of these things. And his wife, Lucy, was with him, but they never made it. Mm. There was a railway disaster in a place called Ashtabula or Ashtabula, I don't know how to say it, in Ohio. And Mm. both he and Lucy, among a number of other people, were killed. Mm. Now, there's a story that he made it out of the burning carriage, railway carriage, but died going back in to try and rescue her. Mm. And it's a heroic story, but it couldn't actually be verified by the witnesses. Mm -hmm. To be fair, it was the middle of a blizzard and the whole train was on fire, so people probably weren't paying that much attention. But... You know, it's one of those stories where you're like, that's very nice, but it's probably not true. Yeah. I do remember so he was, that sad ending to his life. Yeah. He was just 38 years old. Mm. And he left behind his two boys, aged only four and one year old. Wow. Yeah. So he'd actually been writing a hymn while they were on their journey. And the lyrics were found among his things. Uh, in the really? wreckage. 
Yes, but if you want to know about that, you should have signed up for our newsletter at himpartial.com because that's <laughs> our bonus content for this week. And if you haven't signed up, you're just going to have to wait to find out about that him. Oh, wow. Cara, you got me on the edge of my seat. I have to wait for this episode, <laughs> but if you're listening to this, you don't have to wait if you're a subscriber. <laughs> yeah, so Man of Sorrows. A quick note on the music. Philip wrote pretty much all of his own tunes to his hymns, which mm -hmm. is unusual, but mm. also interesting. Mm. And the tune that we sing today is the one that he wrote. It hasn't changed. Wow. Yeah. It's usually called Man of Sorrows, or in the UK they sometimes call it Gethsemane. But it's two names for the same tune. Mm -hmm. um, it's easy to sing because it only uses like a single octave, an eight note range, which means you can make it higher or lower to fit your congregation. And you don't have to have like Superman range to try and sing it. But it's not easy to sing at the same time. Yeah. I don't know how your church sings this song or if you're going to get to it, you can tell me to be quiet. But the last line, some people pause, some people don't pause. Some and people draw it out and some people yeah. don't as well. So it's like uh, it's like an interpretive tempo for the last line of each verse. If you've never sung this before. Yeah. Sometimes you're like, hallelujah. <laughs> what a savior. <laughs> You see everybody kind of look at the person who's leading like, what a say. It's like when you're pouring a glass of something, they're like, say when, and you're like, when. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> it's a nice it, tune, though. And I, when yeah. I, the way I play it at my church, I'll have folks come up afterwards and be like, I'm glad you took the pause. <laughs> it's like <laughs> controversial. <laughs> Um, yeah, it does have a great build-up. Yeah. Like, with the first few lines, they're really serious, and then it kind of builds up to this joyful climax in the final mm -hmm. line of each verse. Mm -hmm. The thing is, though, you have to be really careful with that tune, because mm. if you sing it too slow, it's painful. Oh, it's it's so like a bad. dirge. Yeah. Oh, man. Anyway, um, it is a good tune, though, and it's quite a flexible one in terms mm. of style. Mm -hmm. There is another tune you can sing to it called Bernie Lane, Mm. I don't know if you know that one. <laughs> I don't. I just feel like okay. just sing it to the right tune. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't attack me. I always used to think that, but I actually prefer Bernie Lane. Really? It's the one I'd use. It's, well, it's the one I'd use if I'm singing it on my own or like mm. around the house or something. And it's much prettier, but it's mm. not as congregation friendly uh. because the vocal range is slightly bigger and it feels more like one of those contemplative songs from a musical than like a church mm. song and people find it difficult because it ends on an unresolved note so it doesn't feel finished unlike the work of our savior of yes. whom it is finished <laughs> yes <laughs> which is one of the verses actually talking Tuna. of which <laughs> that's a beautiful segue Monet well done <laughs> so to the hymn Man of Sorrows was written a year or two before Philip Bliss died. It's very different from his normal music because his normal stuff was the sort of upbeat, 
um, revivalist music that you get you used to get in those days where the tunes very kind of like huzzah for the Lord, <laughs> you know, and then they've got like these really rousing choruses of follow Jesus, give your mm-hmm. heart to him, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um. So it this one's a lot more. I don't know. It just feels like it has a bit more depth. Mm-hmm. And this one has survived the test of time for a reason. Mm-hmm. Unlike some of those other songs. <laughs> now, some people do prefer to call it Hallelujah, What a Savior, because mm. it's a less depressing title than Man of Sorrows, which is <laughs> fine. Yeah. Yeah. And like a lot of hymns, there is a logic and a story to it. Mm-hmm. Each verse continues on from or builds on the one before it. And if you listen, you can hear the progression. So, Monet, would you mind just reading that for us? Not a problem. Man of sorrows, what a name. For the son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude. In my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a savior. Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless lamb of God was he. Full redemption, can it be? Hallelujah, what a savior. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished, was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah, what a savior. When he comes, our glorious king, to his kingdom us to bring. Then anew this song we'll sing. Hallelujah, what a savior. Yep, those lyrics are slightly different from the one I normally sing, but it's like minor differences. Yeah, I think the last verse is different from what I sing. Yeah, we would normally sing, when he comes our glorious king, all is ransomed home to bring. Then anew this song will sing, hallelujah, what a savior. That sounds more familiar, yeah, to what I sing. But the rest seem... Then you said about full redemption, can it be... But um, I think a lot of versions use full atonement. Yes. that I was like, is that different? Yes, 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 full atonement. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I uh, should have checked that more carefully before I sent it to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, just because the show, I mean. Well, yeah, we will old, talk so, about yeah. one of those verses. But yeah. Yeah, we'll get to it. So one thing to note about structure is that each of the verses are four lines and the first three are they all rhyme with each other they're very serious they're very sober and then the last line is always the same this joyful bursting into praise with this sort of refrain of hallelujah what a savior yeah and you know the christian life is serious and it's heavy at times but our life is also one of thankfulness and joy and anticipation and praise and I think this song reflects that really well. Mm-hmm. So the first verse is based on Isaiah 53, verse 3. Monique, could you read that? Yes. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. So the whole of Isaiah 53 is so beautiful Mm. as it talks about Christ's sacrifice. But this particular verse is where we get that phrase, man of sorrows. Mm. And I love this 
verse of the hymn because it's the heart of the gospel really we're ruined sinners and god himself came to reclaim us and save us and doesn't get any better than that well actually it does when you get to the end of the hymn but <laughs> <laughs> yes that's as good as it gets um so verse two elaborates on his suffering and i think it's important to remember that this shame and scoffing that it talks about wasn't just at his trial and his execution his crucifixion this was something that Jesus dealt with his whole life. Like, his family didn't believe him. They didn't believe who he was. And it says early on in Mark that his family, when they heard what he was doing when he was preaching and healing people and stuff, they went out to seize him because they were saying he is out of his mind. And then you've got the Pharisees who were just awful. They were constantly plotting against him and trying to trip him up and catch him out. Um... But the real beauty is in the middle lines. In my place, condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. And if that doesn't want make you want to sing the last line, then you <laughs> need to check for a pulse. <laughs> Most definitely. Most definitely. Yeah, so then in verse 3, you have this beautiful picture of our guilt and our vileness, and then it's contrasted with the spotless lamb, which I really love. Um, and this comes from 1 Peter one nineteen. But Monet, could you read actually 1 Peter one eighteen to 21? Because the surrounding verses are really encouraging too. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Amen. Mm. Such a great passage. I love um, in scripture and in our hymns and poetry when we uh, reference Christ as a spotless lamb because it always takes you back to um, the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, which is, you know, existed as a forerunner to what Christ was going to do. You know, it's like, well, why do we have that sacrificial system? Well, it's because the ultimate sacrifice was planned before the foundations of the earth, you know, and that uh, it, it's just it's a it's a sh it's almost a shorthand for like the whole redemption story, like, yes, Christ, the spotless lamb of God. It like zooms you out of like the narrative of the Bible. And I th obviously that's why, you know, there's a lot of reasons why, and we only know like a fraction of them, why the Lord chose to use that symbol for Christ. But I just love it because it, it makes me, it conjures up all those images for me and that appreciation yeah. for what was actually happening um, on the cross and before, you know, with the Jewish sacrificial system that like our sin was so vile and uh, we had to have something so pure atone for us um, in, in that way. Yeah. 
it goes right back though as well like you've got God killing the animal in the garden and making a covering for Adam and Eve you've got Cain bringing I think it was a lamb the first fruits of his flock something like that and his sacrifice was acceptable and then you've got like Abraham about to sacrifice Isaac and there's a ram and then mm-hmm. you've got Passover and they, they use the blood of the lamb and that's mm-hmm. what protects them and then you've got all, like you say the Old Testament um, sacrifices and stuff which always strike me because if you read through those books like Deuteronomy and Leviticus and that where they're detailing all the sacrifices there's just so much blood yeah so much blood yeah. and then along comes Christ and it's like okay we're done no more blood that's it yeah um anyway that's a, a sideline but it gets no. me excited <laughs> I think it's I think it's the heart of you know the reflection of this hymn you know uh each verse is building on this wonderful savior right and at the core of this of his gloriousness is the sacrifice and it does matter it does matter that blood was shed I know we t- I feel like we always picking on this one song but um uh there's a fountain filled with blood like you know it's got a bad rap for being such a gory a gory song but what happened to Christ on the cross was not pretty like that wasn't a yeah. that wasn't a cartoon Disney event um, and yet, even in that gore, um, there's a, there's cause to sing hallelujah, what a savior, because we know what that's about. It's about our guilt, our sin, our punishment being taken on by the perfect spotless lamb of God. Mm. Um, I know. mean, we've mentioned this guy before, but there's a theologian called John Murray Um, And there's a great quote from him where he says, in Jesus's death on the cross, our debts were not canceled. They were liquidated. Mm. Wow. And yeah, (laughs) just just cutting right to the heart of it right there. Yeah, man. (laughs) Um, And I do. I love these words in this hymn, the words full atonement. Can it be? I'm just Mm. like, oh, so good. Saying that some versions do change this verse to... Mm. Guilty, helpless, lost were we. Blameless Lamb of God was he. Sacrificed to set us free. Hallelujah, what a savior. Why? I don't know. (laughs) I don't think... (laughs) I don't think there's anything theologically wrong with that change. We are guilty and helpless and lost. He was the blameless Lamb. He was sacrificed to set us free. Nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But I I love the stronger words yeah. that Philip Bliss used. We're vile, not just lost. Mm-hmm. And spotless is like perfect and pure, mm-hmm. not just sort of without blame. Mm. And then full atonement. It's complete and it's whole and it's enough. And yes, he was sacrificed to set us free, but it worked because the atonement was full. And I love the question. Can it be? Yes. Like, really full atonement or full, in this, the version you sent me, redemption? Like, is it possible? Hallelujah. What a savior. Like, yeah, it's just such it's a great... Yeah, it's not in part. It's yeah. not temporary. It's just yeah. the whole thing's done. It's yeah. great. Uh, which makes you want to sing. <laughs> it does. And then 
verse 4 moves the story forwards a little. It's based on uh, two different verses. One is John 19, verse 30. John 19, verse 30. Da, da, da. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. And then also Hebrews 12, 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I love Hebrews. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. one sucker punch after another. It really is. So, yeah, one of the, the great things about this hymn is that it doesn't stay at the cross. It moves past it, through it, past it, to Christ's resurrection and his ascension, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. are also really important parts of the gospel. It's victory over sin and death and hell. And Jesus gave up his life and then he took it up again when he was good and ready. And I think it's important to remember that his resurrection and ascension are just as important because if he hadn't died, like if he hadn't mm. been raised again and stuff, it just wouldn't, the gospel would be meaningless. Mm -hmm. And then of course he's coming back and it all ends in glory. Amen. <laughs> and yeah, like that last verse says, he's coming back for us and he's going to make everything right. And, you know, this song begins with the man of sorrows, but it ends with Christ triumphant. He's this mm -hmm. glorious king. He's bringing his ransomed people home with him. We're all rejoicing. We're praising him. It's it's such a difference from where this song began. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just let that comfort you. You mm -hmm. know, there are hard things going on in all our lives. And there are some very hard things going on in the world today. But... Mm -hmm. You know, Jesus knows our sorrows and he knows our struggles and mm -hmm. he's walked this way before us and he's coming back for us. Mm -hmm. um, when he does, everything's going to be made new and we'll be able to sing with all of our hearts. Hallelujah. What a savior. We sure will. <laughs> we sure will. Man, I got to say, that's a great, great hymn to kick off kind of our countdown to Easter this year, 2022. Um I'd be curious if you're listening, have you sung this hymn before? If you haven't, let us know in the comments because this seems to be a fan favorite in our neck of the woods. I would like to hear what hymns you are interested in singing in in terms of reflecting on Christ and um, his, his sacrificial work on the cross and his resurrection. Um, this is a great Easter hymn, so put it put it in the rotation if you have that responsibility at your church. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, and yes, if you haven't already, make sure you go over to our Instagram so you can sign up for our free giveaway. Again, the book is Man of Sorrows, King of Glory, What the Humiliation and Exaltation of Jesus Mean for Us very on topic and I think would be a great thing to read this Easter but until next time may the Lord bless you and keep you bye, bye.